Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Merry Christmas and welcome in the name of God our Father and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to see you all here today. We begin our worship this morning with scripture reading from the second chapter of Luke, verses 21 through 26. Luke 2, 21 through 26. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we give thanks that we can be here today freely assembled to gather together in the name of your Son, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We pray that today the things that we do here might honor and glorify you, that Jesus Christ might be exalted and praised, and that you might bless us, that we might enjoy the fellowship of your Spirit, which you have freely given to all who call upon the name of the Lord. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our scripture reading in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 27. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, 
Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Jesus' father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. This is the word of the Lord. As you open your Bibles this morning, we will be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Pastor, this doesn't look like a Christmas passage. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I have to say, this is an excellent question. When you think about it, this is an excellent question because it presupposes Three things. Number one, it presupposes that there is a God. It presupposes that there is an eternal destiny for the human soul. And it presupposes that God is the great judge and rewarder of all. All of that is wrapped up in this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question also reveals a hidden presupposition that was characteristic of many first century Jews that John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles preached to. What must I do to inherit? Focus in on that word. To inherit eternal life. The hidden presupposition is that Jews by virtue of their ancestry as physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were the only members of the human family who could inherit, by birthright, could inherit eternal life. Yeah, that sneaky assumption was hiding in that question too. And we're going we're gonna to see that Jesus addresses that. How is Jesus going to answer this questioner? Well, he begins by referring the man to the law of the Lord. Verse 26, what is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? The expert in the law continued, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This man's answer comes primarily from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what does the law say? Well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It seems to me I've seen that somewhere. Oh, yeah. Emblazoned on our wall. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. This was an excellent answer. An excellent answer, an excellent summary of the law of the Lord. All of the commandments of God are summed up in one word. Love, love for God, love God with all of your being, all that you are, and demonstrate, reflect that love in love for your neighbor. Love for God, love for neighbor, that sums up the law of the Lord perfectly. Jesus replies in verse 28, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But let's look at this man's response. Oh, it is a predictably disappointing response. After an excellent question, after an excellent answer, oh, the man stumbles at the finish line. A predictably human thing to do. And it's a predictably disappointing response. Verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, oh, he's so slick. He asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But who is, exactly who is my neighbor? The most natural of human responses, it's the desire to justify ourselves. Our oldest grandfather did it in the Garden of Eden after he sinned against the supremely simple and singular commandment that the Lord had given concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when the Lord asked Adam what he had done, our oldest granddaddy said, it wasn't my fault, it was this woman that you made for me. Really, it was your fault, God. The attempt to justify ourselves. And this expert in the law who has asked an excellent question, provided an excellent answer, now he does the very predictably disappointing thing that all of us humans do. He seeks to justify himself. It's the leading cause of separation from God. You do know that, don't you? If I ask you what was the, the, the biggest thing that separated people from God, your answer would probably be sin. And you would be right, but God dealt with that, didn't he? I mean, that's what the cross was all about, right? Jesus Christ died for our sins. He is the atonement. So what is left to separate someone from drawing near to God? God has opened the door and made the way. What will keep a man or woman from entering into that state of forgiveness and relationship with God? Pride, the desire to justify ourselves instead of trusting in the one who will justify us and make us right with him. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That's from 1 Peter 5. The leading cause of separation from God is this desire to justify ourselves. And this expert in the law has done just that. And so it's time for Jesus to tell a story. Because, you see, Jesus understands that love, whether it's love for God or love for our neighbor, It's not a matter of getting the warm feelies. Love is an action word. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Even though you're traveling north from Jerusalem to Jericho, they called it going down because in a span of about 17 miles, you dropped over 3,000 feet in elevation. Jerusalem is a mountain city. To go to Jericho in the countryside, you have to go down, even though you're going north. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, oh, incidentally, going down, the priest also was leaving Jerusalem, heading towards Jericho. You see, up in Jericho, that was where a lot of the priests and Levites who served at the temple in Jerusalem, when they were off duty and they were no longer required to be in Jerusalem at the temple, a lot of them would head to Jericho. That's where they had country estates and villas. That's where they lived. A priest happened to be going down that road. No doubt he had completed his service in Jerusalem, and it was time to head home. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, now a Levite, that's not a priest, but a Levite is a member of that priestly tribe of Levi. And though not a priest, this man would have been someone who served at the temple. And there were lots of jobs to do. There's always brass that needs to be polished, right? There were lots of jobs to do. And this Levite, he was one of these men who served in the temple. Maybe the Levite will do something to help. When he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These two men knew the law of the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe that summary of the law that the expert of the law had provided to Jesus, maybe that flashed through their minds as they saw this man beaten, stripped, left for dead on the side of the road. Why then did they pass by on the other side of the road? You know, Jesus doesn't tell us. I think there's three things that we can speculate on. Number one, there's a good chance that they didn't want to become ritually, ceremonially, religiously unclean. Remember, in the law of Moses, if you're a priest... Actually, if you're any Israelite and you have contact with a corpse, you touch a dead body, you are ceremonially unclean. It doesn't mean that you've done something bad or sinful. It just means you're unclean until the time of your purification can be completed. You're not coming into the temple. And anyone that you have contact with is also going to be ceremonially unclean. It was part of their religious rites. Maybe these men didn't want to be ritually unclean unclean. Maybe they thought, perhaps that man is dead. He certainly looks like he's dead. I better not go touch him because I'm heading home 
and I'll make anyone there that I meet ritually unclean. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet Hosea from Hosea 6, 6. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hosea 6, 6 puts it this way, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, God is less concerned with religious duties and he's more concerned with faithful love that presents itself by acts of mercy and compassion toward others. I think that's significant enough that it needs to be said a second time. God is less concerned with religious duties than he is with faithful love that presents itself by acts of mercy and compassion towards others. Maybe these men were concerned about risk. That's possible. For all they knew, there could be those bandits still hiding behind the rocks, ready to jump out and beat them and strip them, steal their possessions, and leave them for dead. Helping others involves risk sometimes, and these men might have weighed it out and decided it's better just not to get involved. Maybe these men simply didn't want to be inconvenienced. They had been serving at the temple probably for a period of months. Now they were headed back to their families. I don't need any interruptions. I just need to get home to my family. Didn't want to be inconvenienced, perhaps. Jesus continues his story, though, in verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. When he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, yeah, he stayed overnight taking care of this man, saving him from death. The next day, he took out two denarii. A denarii is a day's wage, a day's pay. So he took out two days' pay out of his own checking account, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Here's two days' wages. I hope it covers it. But if there's anything else that's needed to care for this man and get him back on his feet again, you do whatever's necessary. When I come back, I'll pay whatever's on the tab. The unlikeliest of characters has just entered Jesus' story. A Samaritan. Perhaps the expert in the law and those who stood there that day listening to Jesus' tale, perhaps they were expecting that the third person in the story, the third one to come upon the man left for dead, would be a Jewish layman. Not a priest, not a Levite who serves at the temple. No, no doubt it'll be a Jewish layman, one of the common people, and he will do something different. He will help because that's what a good Jew ought to do. But no, it wasn't a Jewish man. It wasn't one of those who could presumably inherit eternal life who entered the story. 
No, it was a hated Samaritan. The Jews looked upon Samaritans as physical half-breeds, descendants of those who had long ago had intermarried with foreigners and now practiced false worship of God. They didn't worship in Jerusalem like Jews did. These were people who presumably, from a Jewish point of view, definitely could not inherit eternal life. They couldn't inherit anything from God. And now the Samaritan has become the hero of Jesus' story, the unlikeliest of all. He is the one who becomes the willing one, willing to get dirty, willing to take on personal risk, willing to be personally inconvenienced. In short, in Jesus' story, it's the Samaritan who is the one who reflected love for God by demonstrating love for his neighbor. The Samaritan is the one who crossed the road instead of passing by on the other side. Jesus now turns the question on to his questioner. Verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Oh, this question had to burn. I think it did. I think it had to burn. Perhaps the professor of the law couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Those words were so distasteful to him. He couldn't even say the Samaritan is the one who showed love and proved to be a neighbor. He answers, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus told him, go and do the same. Remember, God doesn't desire religious duties near so much as he desires that we show faithful love expressed through acts of mercy and compassion. Go and do the same, Jesus tells this man. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Neighbor is the one who's in need. Go, show mercy, show compassion, serve those who are in need. So often we we regard love as a feeling word. We fall in love. We fall out of love. It's all about how we feel. But the concept of love that the scriptures present to us is that love is action. It is doing. When Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, I, I love you. What's the Lord's response to that disciple? Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do you see what the Lord's getting at? It's not, do you have affectionate, loving feelings for me, Peter? No. It's demonstrate your love for me by serving my people. Faithful love is displayed by acts of mercy and compassion. Does that mean that religious duties are simply unimportant? No, of course not. But you have to understand the purpose of them. What are they there for? They serve as training wheels. They serve as guard rails. If you've ever ever been to a bowling alley and you've seen little children bowling, they have these gutter rails that they put up so that the ball has a chance of getting down the lane and maybe actually hitting something. That's what religious duties are like. 
They're the rails that keep us on track so that we can freely express these acts of faithful love, service to others, compassion, mercy. They keep us in the middle of the lane. But if the ritual, if the religious duty should ever get in the way of that, well, at that point, we've gotten the cart before the horse. God desires faithful love displayed by acts of mercy and compassion. Faithful love. Consider the story Jesus told. Faithful love does not concern itself with worries about getting dirty. Faithful love is willing to hazard the risks. Faithful love is willing to be inconvenienced. And that, my friends, that is the message of Christmas. You see, God is not the sort to pass by on the other side of the road so as not to get his hands dirty, so as not to take unnecessary risks, so as not to be inconvenienced. No, that's the message of Christmas. God really is the sort to cross the road to seek and to save, to rescue the perishing, to bind up broken bones, to pay the costs, to hazard the risks, to inconvenience himself, to get down into the dirt of life on this rock and involve himself in our desperate situation. God really is that sort of God. God did not pass us by. God demonstrated his faithful love for us in his acts of mercy and compassion. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now, that God who is not afraid to cross the road, who's not afraid to involve himself in our lives, has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus, the Son of God, who affirmed that the law of the Lord is accurately summed up in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now declares to us, I have a new commandment to give you. A new commandment? Well, it's really an old commandment, but it's a new commandment that I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Do faithful love. Do it through acts of mercy and compassion. Cross the road. Get dirty. Take risks. Be willing to be inconvenienced. And God will provide you with opportunities at inconvenient times. And when he does, he's testing your faith. He's saying, what will you do? Son, daughter, what will you do? Will you choose to serve me and love me by serving others through acts of faithful love, mercy, compassion? It's going to be inconvenient. What will you choose? Do all of these things for the cause of faithful love. Be fully developed and mature just like your Father in heaven is. Jesus is God's love for mankind expressed in a supreme act of faithful, merciful, compassionate love. Remember it well this Christmas. Let it shape and change your life.
Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you. Eternally grateful we are that you did not pass us by, leaving us on the side of the road. No, Father, you are truly the sort who crosses the road, who gets involved. You involved yourselves, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in our plight, in our desperate situation, separated from you, dead in trespasses and sins, without hope, without God in this world. That was us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. How grateful we are that you did not pass us by. You did not desire to pass any by, Father. You've told us plainly in your word that it's your desire that all would be saved, that all would come to repentance, all would change their mind about their sin, about their selfishness, about their self-justification, lay it all down and turn to you in confident trust in the Savior you've provided and enter into a life-giving relationship with you that the writers of your word describe as eternal life. Father, thank you for being involved in our lives. Help us each day when we are presented with the choice to choose faithful love, showing mercy and compassion to our neighbors. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You have new life in Christ. Live it out through acts of faithful love. Now may the grace and peace of God our Father and his Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Spirit that he's freely given to all who call upon his name be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, We'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.